0: It is a rare off-season crossover, Locked on Packers, Locked on Browns. I am Peter Bukowski joined by Jeff Lloyd from Locked on Browns. And this there is so much crossover without us even doing a show, Jeff, between the Packers and the Browns right now, uh, even hiring each other's coaches after pillaging the Packers front office staff last off-season. It has been a a crazy season for you and and you entered this off-season the same way the Packers did Looking for the next head coach. Both teams now have one. From your perspective, uh, with the Browns, what was the search like for you guys?
1: Um, I, I think they set it. You know, they you know, set a big, big net. Um, and I think part of it was is you know you didn't want to live too much in the moment of Freddie Kitchens. I mean, you wanted to you know look. I mean, you know, second half of the season, obviously, the you know, second overall offense is what he led, and he was the play caller. Uh, you know, got development from Baker. Obviously, Nick Chubb, you know, first started the scene as, you know, a guy who's going to be probably a top 10 back numbers wide for years to come. Got a lot of growth out of your wide receiver position, your tight end position. But you still had to say, hey, are we sure here? Are we not just living in the seven games of what Freddie did? And once they were able to sit down with everybody, and I, I think that I do appreciate what they did with Freddie and said, hey, look, come in an interview. We're going to do you towards the end. So, look, I mean, he's never had a head coaching interview, so you wanted to make sure he was prepared and ready to come in with it. And they were, you know, they said today it was unanimous. Even if it was, it wasn't. It just seemed, with all you know, all that went on with you know the interviews, it was just tending to to go that way. And look, you have the uh, all the confidence in the world in Baker Mayfield. You found a guy that he's worked with very well over the second half of the season. You needed a new voice there. Granted, there's going to be some players added to that defense, which should improve it. And they are a very young unit with itself. But I think they just had so much going on offense. And even if they felt Freddie Kitchens was maybe a year away. It was better to hire him and give him this role now as opposed to maybe seeing him go on to be head coach of another franchise. And you never got the chance to dance the dance with a guy you thought was going to be the guy one day.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned the thing that is my biggest hesitation with all of this, and that is how much how much were the seven games a factor in this decision relative to finding a coach and going through a process that in retrospect seems a little bit stilted. It seems like it was a little bit, uh, rigged is the wrong word, but they set it up for Freddie to succeed. And they clearly wanted to keep him. That's the only reason you give Mike McCarthy an offer contingent on him keeping a guy like Freddie Kitchens. What I, what I struggle with is believing that after they hired and, and overturned every stone in the NFL, every coach, The guy that they thought was best for this job, not just in 2019 and 2020, but for the next 5, 10, 15 years, was the guy who three months ago was a running backs coach that no one had ever really given two thoughts about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can understand that, um, but it was just the night and day of it. I mean, look, with Hugh Jackson, obviously a veteran and established presence in this league, his time in Cleveland, be that as it may, yes, it was terrible. Uh, You know, Todd Haley. But nothing they seemed, and there was never a point where the offense was clicking. I mean, the offense was clicking right off the bat in the Kansas City game. Um, granted, it was a game they lost, and obviously, you know, significantly outmanned by the Kansas City Chiefs, who were just a better, better team. But to see this team continuously score week in, week out in the twenties, and, and and a lot of it with ease, um, and for me, it, it was it was the Carolina game, and it was little things like during the week, uh, Luke Keekly, uh, you know, I'm sorry, uh, Freddie, had done an interview and. He was basically complimenting Luke Keekly and said, look, uh, Luke is a guy who, you know, if Baker's going to struggle at all, you know, Luke can make the call to line for him. And it was just like, oh, OK, you know, I mean, here he is. You know, He was talking well. And then he came in with the two counter plays, basically. And he, he said afterwards, those two plays were because I know Luke Kuechly, he was going to read everything so well. This is something he wasn't going to be able to read. And it worked. I mean, to one carry for a touchdown, one carry for 52 yards, set up the you know, the touchdown to put the game out of the reach. Uh, even still, Carolina went down the field on the first drive and just, you know, it was like a death of his spouse and paper cut. And it was on from there. And, and I think that was the week where Freddie, I think, kind of realized, wow, maybe maybe I do have a shot here. But I also think that was the week where the Browns front office said, wow. Maybe the guy we're looking for is already here, and you know the offense continued. You know for the you know, the last two to three games after that, just continued to look stronger and stronger, able to put up points. Even Baltimore, you know, got down a little early, and all we heard was how great this Baltimore defense was, number one overall in the league. Well, they gave up three three hundred passers this year, two of them were Baker Mayfield.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, there there is no questioning that seven games. Uh, I, I am still the kind of the, the kind of person that believes Mike McCarthy would have been an excellent fit in Cleveland. I know that that you were not one of those people, and that's okay. But I think we also agree that
1: given the way everything played out, I think the thing for me with McCarthy was because it was coming off such a long relationship with Aaron Rodgers. And even if it were the jet job or even if it was the Cleveland job, you know, here it is. You know, do I want to go commit another 10, 15 years? Because, you know, that's basically if you're doing it right, if you took the jet job, if you're doing it right, you took the Cleveland job. That was the commitment you were writing yourself into. And, you know, for my you know, Mike who had such a long run out there. And it even like the talk of, oh, we you know the jet jobs, not bad. You know, his. Uh, his wife and his two stepsons. You know they want to stay in Green Bay. It's close. I mean, it doesn't seem like that close. Like he's not leaving practice and popping in for dinner. I no. mean, it's not like it's Boston. <laughs> it's not like it's Boston where he's in. A, you know, he's on a plane and he's there in ninety minutes. So that stuff was a little bit hard to read that way. But this might be better for Mike. You know, maybe Mike can come back where there's a guy who had a more established team and there's less building that needs to be done. Because look, there's still work needs to be done with the Browns. Uh, but, you know, say a team that, you know, it w- was close enough and, you know, somehow, somewhere they had a partner with their head coach and Mike McCarthy comes in as the veteran guy with the veteran roster that's already in place. Maybe it's a little easier transition for him, but I, I think for Mike, maybe the best thing was to just get a year away. And the other thing is I felt if you were hiring him, you were maybe hiring him right now at his worst. So go back, recharge your batteries, you know, watch what some of these other young, innovative offensive coordinators are doing, you know, because you always got to evaluate yourself and, You know, and try to make yourself better. And, you know, so it's just crazy how it went. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think Mike's going to do the right thing for him, maybe do a little TV, get to look at the game from a different perspective. And there'll be really good jobs still available. It always works out that way. So I think he'll be able to slide into another position. But it just seemed like you were going to get him maybe at his worst and you were going to need him kind of to be at his best. And, And that was the worrisome feelings I had with Mike McCarthy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, a very real scenario where the Steelers go seven and nine, eight and eight next year. Tomlin is out, and Mike McCarthy, the the Pennsylvania native, suddenly steps into a team that that has its eye on a Super Bowl championship sooner rather than later. Uh, yep. Flipping this around, though, the Packers make their hire in in a surprise move. I think most people thought Josh McDaniels was the front runner. That was the perception. That was what all the reporting said. So when the Packers announce Matt Lafleur. As their next head coach, from from your perspective as an outsider with no dog in the race here, uh,
1: what was your what was your thought on it? The first thing I thought was, I mean, look, I mean, if you look at you know Tennessee and what they did this year, I mean, is the first thing you're going to say to yourself is, wow, man. I want to get me a piece of that tennessee titans offense i mean other than you know Derek henry going bananas in the month of december um there wasn't much to it but look i mean we're seeing this now and you look at the cycle i mean and a prime example was the defensive coordinator the browns got you know steve wilkes obviously one year in arizona nobody is looking to hire a defensive head coach right now nobody nobody's looking to do it so i mean look there's going to be stacked defensive coaching units all throughout this nfl because these are, I mean, a lot of these guys aren't, they're not going to get the shots they deserve right now. And basically it's almost because it's a biased thing of, is we want this next guy and, you know, everybody with the next McVeigh. Maybe it's not the next McVay, but everybody wants the next offensive coordinator, head coach guy who can put 30, you know, get you 30 points a week. And you figure if you have the ball long enough, that should be enough to get you to, you know, double digit victories where you go to the playoffs. And then, you know, I mean, if you look what the Rams did the other night, obviously adapting, you know, running the ball for well over 200 yards. You look at what New England did yesterday. uh, Okay, it's a playoff time. Now we'll start running the ball. But maybe find that guy. I mean, and there's no odder one than maybe even Kingsbury, who got fired. And just basically, you know, he was a guy who did nothing for six weeks and his name just grew and grew and grew and grew. And all of a sudden he had, you know, he had to get out of the offensive coordinator job in college to take a head coaching job in the NFL. But it's crazy. Um, But LaFleur, obviously, he's got the roots. He's been around. He's been a part of you know many staffs and systems. Um, And I, I think what I heard and this was a key one is, you know, and I do agree with this so much is when you have a talent like Aaron Rodgers, you need somebody that's going to make him test his talent and, and think a little bit more. And, and I think maybe that was the thing, you know, where it's a, it's a newer guy with some younger concept. Isn't that basically what the deal was, Pete?
0: Yeah, I think when you're looking at it that way, um, there was it was not just a newer guy with newer concepts. Because Mike McCarthy had introduced more than just, you know, slant flat. That was not all the Packers offense had been uh, in 2018. Wow, that's, what
1: the, that's, that's the way that... That's the way the story gets told, though. Huh, it, interesting.
0: It, it is the way the story <laughs> gets told. Uh, and I have, I have for the jokes on Twitter, uh, told it that way in the past. But I think it was more of an unwillingness to evolve in terms of personnel deployment. And there was a failure in personnel deployment, not getting Aaron Jones the ball more, not using Mercedes Lewis as a blocker more, using Jimmy Graham as a blocker way too much. There was just, you know, it was, it was a, a failure to recognize flaws in the system and a failure to push it forward and then then you, you get a young coach like Matt LaFleur who comes from a background with Mike and Kyle Shanahan who has that experience with McVeigh, and who is going to constantly be wanting to push the offense forward. He has you know, uh, he has said all of the right things in terms of wanting to be progressive, ideologically speaking, wanting to be open to new ideas, wanting to constantly stay one step ahead of how defenses are handling his offense and incorporating ideas from other schemes. I think, I think bringing in a young coach who has played the quarterback position, um, even though not in the NFL, but, but did play it briefly professionally, played it in college to stimulate Aaron Rodgers. You know, this is a guy who went on TV and told Josh Rosen, I get bored sometimes in practice. You need, to, you need to re-engage that guy. You need to bring him back and say, we want you all in every snap, every play, and we need you to trust the coach. So they went out and found a coach who they felt like is gonna engage Rodgers in a very specific way. But I wanna go back to a point that you just made about the offensive coach, I think something that happened in Cleveland t- t- especially, but it was something that was was discussed in Green Bay as part of their coaching search. There were a lot of fans that wanted Vic Fangio in Green Bay. And the thought was, bring in a coach like Zach Taylor, who now is probably going to be the head coach of the Bengals, so this is moot, but bring in a guy like that, have him call your offense. My problem with that always was, well, if the offense goes as planned in a year or two, He's going to get a new head coaching job, and you're done. And this is the point you made about Freddie Kitchens, which is why I understand why Cleveland did what they did. If we think, as the Browns, that that Kitchens is going to be a head coaching candidate in a year or two, and we like him, then what we have to do in order to keep him is simply make him the head coach, because if we don't, he's going to go be an OC somewhere, or, or even if he's the OC here... In a year or two, he's going to go get a head coaching job and
1: we can't stop him. Yeah, and that's that kind of what it came to, down to. And, and look, maybe, you know, obviously, you know, he progressed faster than they would have thought. And John Dorsey, a light went on with him really, really quickly. And I think with a lot of people within the building, because if you even go back to hard knocks, you know, Freddie was kind of the one, well, what do you mean? guys, guys don't have to practice. And it just seemed like Freddie Kitchens, you know, obviously, to you know, come and play Gene Stolings at Alabama, had this look on his face like, What do you mean it's okay if they don't practice? And, like, he just didn't seem to get it. And then you saw it was a big thing with the players. And, uh, you know, knowing John Dorsey the way he is, obviously it it was a big thing with John Dorsey. Uh, You know, you get out there. You know, practice is part of your job. And, you know, it's, it was a great thing for Freddie, Freddie Kitchens. It was a tough thing for Cleveland because it was, you know, and even now, look, if Mike McCarthy come here, you know, came here, you would have given him his minimum, his minimum three, four years. So, yeah. And if things went right, yeah, you absolutely would have lost Freddie Kitchens. So I just think it was just, you know, it, it, yes, it was somewhat in the moment, but, you know, the moment was so good and you have your franchise quarterback, you have plenty of piece, pieces on defense. You're still going to have around 90 million in cap space. They still have 11 draft draft choices. Probably are probably won't even make my guess would be maybe seven if that. So you know they have manu- you know flexibility to move up in the draft like that. And I think it was just that they – so much of what they liked with the offense and the skill and the way it all worked together, and even the offensive line where you put in Greg Robinson who had here been basically you know. An absolute, you know, yeah, a, a, you know, an NFL draft bust came in, solidified that left tackle position, was able to keep Baker clean. I mean, there were weeks where Baker Bainfield was doing postgame interviews without a grass stain on his uniform. Uh, you take another colossal NFL draft bust like Bashard Perriman, and not only did he play, he played well. And it made a serious, serious contribution. Obviously, wide receiver and uh, coach Adam Henry was kept. He was one of these guys, and it was a big thing with Freddie. It was a big thing with Henry was no balls will be dropped. You drop a ball in practice, you don't get balls during the game. And there were some weeks where some guys were missing in the game plan. Antonio Callaway had a couple of weeks as such. So you kind of got the feeling that maybe you know, there were some passes dropped during the week in practice. And those guys were kind of eliminated from the game plan on Sunday. Obviously, Callaway got himself right because he uh, closed the season out very well. You know, big, big game in weeks, uh, Week 17 against Baltimore. But I think there was there was now accountability, and it showed that practice mattered, which had been such a farce that that didn't exist under Hugh Jackson. And it was if you get it done here in the practice fields, you will be a part of the game plan. And it showed that way. And I think it kind of it was a signal that resonated to the rest of the team that this is a certain way things were going to be done. If you wanted to be a Cleveland. Brown, whether it was going to be Freddie's job or somebody else's job, they were starting to change. You know, and everybody likes to use the culture change, but this is a professional thing. This is what you're supposed to do. You're paid a god awful lot of money. The least you can do, you know, unless you're in a walking boot, is show up on Wednesday and give a solid hour and a half effort at practice. And I think it started to become a thing week in, week out. And the defense bought in. And there were weeks where they got to close out games, like the Denver game, where you had a huge play from Jabril Peppers, and it just became such an accountability for every guy on that roster that they just didn't want to risk bringing in a new voice up top. And I just, I don't think they could have. And, you know, it just, it swayed and swayed more that they would would rather stick with the way it was going and just continue to add pieces to the roster.
0: Well, and I, I hate to harp on this, but that would have been where Mike McCarthy absolutely shined. As a culture setter, as a CEO coach, there are a few guys in the league who I would trust more with my franchise to make sure that sort of baseline professionalism was very much baseline and that the expectation was we go above and beyond this because that is, that is just how we do things here. I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because uh, I, ju- I just do want to say one more but, thing though.
1: I think I, I do think Mike got a little bit of a bad rap. Um, look, you know, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is obviously a difficult guy to deal with, you know, all the talent in the world. And I can understand sometimes there were some differences, but you can't discount that Mike McCarthy was the head coach of that franchise as long as he was and what he did.
0: No, there's no question. There's no question. And, and I was I was defensive for Mike at, at various times you yes, know, on you social were. media about you know some of the – there was some McCarthy slander that I was just not going to be here for because he – and I said this before he was even fired. Uh, I, I said, you know, you look around the league at some of the garbage coaches that have been in the league for the last 15, <laughs> 20 years. McCarthy would be the best coach in franchise history for like 10 teams and, and probably more. Just because of, was, of what he was able to accomplish, it, it really is staggering that so many people were, were willing to turn up their nose at that prospect.
1: Yeah, I definitely think he got a raw deal in that, raw deal in that aspect. And it'll be better for him, because now, I mean, look, and he can watch from afar... And, you know, he will know, you know, OK, all right, well, that's going to be a job opening. That's going to be a job opening. And he, he can sit and evaluate for himself and say, yeah, all right. Well, if they call, we're definitely interested. Them, I, I don't know. But I mean, it, it, I, I think he's going to allow himself to get into a position he would be more comfortable with when he does take his next gig. I,
0: I want to make this transition out of the front office because I've, I've, uh, I have a, a Browns fan in my family. Uh, I I know plenty. I, I we are we are friends. I'm very aware of what's going on on Brown's Twitter at all times. It seems like Browns fans have very quickly taken to this "Endorsee We Trust" type of mentality, where they believe the front office uh is doing everything they can to get better, and that is such a far cry. I mean, it's amazing what they were able to do in one off season to just say. We, we, we have faith in you now, given how bad things have been in Cleveland for years. We now believe in all of these former Packer guys to
1: lead us to the promised land. Um. Yeah. And, well, and that was one thing, though, that also did take me a little hesitation with Mike McCarthy is he wanted to make sure he was going to be the guy. Not just the fact that he had already had three guys, so maybe he was like the fourth for bridge. If it was going to be him, let's make sure it was because you felt he was the absolute best guy for the gig. Not just because, you know, you know, the old phrase of getting the band back together. And then there's always the, you know, John will take a chance on a guy. And look, they did this with their special teams coach. They will take some chances on guys with shady resumes that you just say, hey, I'd rather avoid that headache. But you know, John a man, he, you know, he will try to get somebody to bounce back. Antonio Callaway was one. Look, I, I I wasn't sure of it. Granted, it was the issues. It was also the fact the guy hadn't played football in 18 months. But but it panned out. So I guess you know, you kind of kinda get, you know, and guys like Tyree Kill, you've got to give somebody credit to say, well, look, you know, I, I have faith in the player, and I spent enough time that I think I'm gonna have faith in the young man that the mistake will not come up here, and we will not see it for a second time. But what John is done, and granted, and this is one of my biggest things here because it always seems to be whether it's a, it's a Sashi Brown side or a John Dorsey side, they probably would have worked well together in some capacity in the front office because Sashi Brown was able to create. You know, cap space, able to you know acquire a lot of draft assets. You know, the the uh, taking on Brock Osweiler for a year, paying his contract to get a second round pick, that player turning out to be Nick Chubb, just absolutely. You know, I mean, this good business at the end of the day. I mean, look, Cleveland didn't have anybody else who was going to take 15 million mill a year from him anyway. So you might as well find some way to turn it into something productive. But, you know, John Dorsey walked in here and, you know, one, one thing he did know is, look, I don't know how active we're going to be in free agency. So went out and acquired a Jarvis Landry, went out and acquired a Tyrod Taylor. A fantastic deal getting Demarius Randall over here because, uh, you know, uh, they needed a free safety. Craig Williams emphasized free safety play. They were able to get Randall in here who had a tremendous season for him. So, you know, he's a lot of the I mean, he hit well. His hit rate was very, very good. Uh, obviously, uh, this year' defensive line, that's probably something they're going to have to address here. There's no way they can expect it to go on for a second year in a row. But it, it's not like he still doesn't have a ton of capital. It's not like he still doesn't have a ton, a ton of draft picks. And look, I mean, you're never going to get your roster completely right within 365 days, although we did a pretty damn good job of it in year one.
0: We talked before we came on the air here about how, you know, if we're, if we're doing this a year from now, uh, it's going to be because we're talking about games. So, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. If the Packers are going to be playing in meaningful games a year from right now, what do they have to do to get there between what this roster looks like now and what it would need to look like in January 2020?
1: Well, first things first, you're going to look at a 2019 NFL draft that is loaded at the tight end position, um, and it's almost the Oprah meme. You get a tight end. You get a tight end. You get yeah. It, it, it's 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 that it's that legitimate um, edge two, rusher
0: too. Two need positions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for us, defensive tackle, and this is the year for defensive tackle. I mean, you know, and and, and you know, when you have a draft like this, and look, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the Packers have a pretty competitive roster. So what do you do? Go hit those spots. Go get a D tackle. Go get a tight end. Uh, obviously, you got two first round picks, right? Correct. So uh, yep. that should work out very well for Green Bay. And, you know, so you know, acquire those, uh, another one, let's see Aaron Jones and the true potential this guy's got, uh, so many people sleep on the fact that Aaron Jones had almost, I, I believe it was over a hundred career receptions in college. Yep. He can be a full time back. I thought he was a better receiver than rusher coming out of uh, Texas, El Paso. So a guy like he needs to be a, you know, a, a 1200 to 1500 total yardage guy. Granted, some of it's, you know, on him, you know, gets dinged here and there, the suspension, but feature your better players. And also it's going to be the growth of, you know, who are going to be these second-year wideouts. You know, who's going to be in the guy next to Tay Adams? Who's going to be the next Devonte Adams for the Green Bay Packers? That's what they need. But, you know, when if you've got Aaron Rodgers and you get him – on the same page, and, and LaFleur says, look, we're going to work together, but, you know, I do want to stimulate you, and I want to create something different. And and one biggest thing, and, and this is one thing I, I think I noticed with Freddie Kitchens this year, was there was always that one drive each week where he has nothing he hadn't seen yet. And, you know, completely flipped the script with some different stuff. And you could, you got to do that, and look, I mean, yes, it's going to keep Aaron Aaron Rodgers involved, but what it did for the Browns was it kept all 53 guys on the roster involved, I mean, he had his third string tailback throw a pass. The guy didn't have a carry this season, but he did have a pass opportunity. Granted, he threw an interception, but it was something different where every guy comes to practice and says, wow, you know what? I mean, somehow, some way I, I, I could be a part of this game plan this week and doing that. So, you know, that's what I think Lafleur is going to bring there and find a way to you know establish those younger wide receivers outside of Devontae Adams. Get that tight end involved and get Aaron Rodgers, you know, weapons who are more ready. I mean, you know, those rookies got a lot of opportunities this year. They're just going to excel with more of the opportunities, but I don't see any reason. And look, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Bears had a good season, but if you tell me the Packers are going to play the right way, that the Bears would win the division by two games over them? There's no way I could believe that.
0: Listen, I, I think that is all. That is all very well said. And if and if I'm looking at it from a Cleveland perspective, you know, I think there's there are some similarities there. I would like to see Antonio Callaway take that year to leap. And if they and if he can't, and and perhaps even if he can, I think they they could use one more pass catcher in that offense. I don't know if you can rely on Brashad Perriman, who has really struggled to stay healthy over the course of his career. Uh, I'd like to see them, if they can, uh, solidify the offensive tackle position. I don't know if Greg Robinson is a long-term solution. You mentioned defensive tackle. And, you know, maybe one more linebacker. I don't know, Jamie Collins, how he's going to age given what he's good at. Um, I like Joe Schobert, but uh, one more linebacker could help solidify that run defense, especially if they were able to, to get that defensive tackle situation sorted out. But these are, like you said, two talented teams that really just need to see some of their young players take a step forward and, and carry over, in the case of the Browns, a success they had offensively last year. And if you're the Packers, you have to recapture some of the, the previous success that they've already
1: had. You know, for me, the one thing I'm worried about next year is you know we're going to be talking probably three to four primetime games with this franchise piece. So now you're going to be talking about you know me putting on coffee at 11 o'clock on a Sunday or a Monday night trying to get through a postgame show. It's going to be vastly different than the 1 p.m. kickoffs that I got used to for about two years now covering this team.
0: Well, but the good news for you is that means more time to spend with the family. So Absolutely. That is, that is the good news there. Uh, Jeff, this was fun. We'll do it again uh, next year. Uh, locked on Packers, locked on Browns. I am Peter Bukowski, Jeff Lloyd, on a crossover edition, the rarely seen off-season crossover edition.